everybody, and welcome to another All the WrestleManias, the podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. And we're back in the studio today. We're really excited. We're going to talk about WrestleMania 21. It's in our name. It's what we do. We're excited to continue our series of WrestleMania reviews from the show from April 3rd, 2005. So welcome, and thanks for listening as always if you're looking for us on the web it's all the wrestlemanias.com you can always tweet at us on twitter at wrestlemania pod and shoot us an email at all the wrestlemanias at gmail.com we're always happy to have your comments your questions your requests uh we've got let's see we did a king of the ring episode recently a part of our we were we were there series rich attended that one way back in 1994 when he was just a wee little lad um so we had fun talking about that one yeah, I know you're jealous. I am oh, yeah. super jealous still. Um, <laughs> trying to figure out how much these fellas weigh. Uh, like good old Art Donovan. Um, I'll tell you something, Art Donovan. <laughs> uh, and what else? What other episodes do we have coming up? I've sort of lost track, honestly. We've got, got a few good uh, ones. Yeah, I think we're going to look at uh, Wrestle Rock 86. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, that card looks amazing. And we're going to delve into the AWA a bit. That looks fun. And I think we were going to look at a VHS that was put together by WWF way back in the day called Smack'em Whack'em. <laughs> That's a great title. It's got a great title and it's got a great main event on it of Bret Hart versus Ric Flair. Hot damn. And that was requested by Nick, as always, who we love and adore and thank always for listening. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's an exciting one. I'm really, uh, I didn't know that that tape or that event has existed. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm really interested to get into that one. So. Smack them, whack them. <laughs> also be probably a, a pretty good tagline for my teenage years. Yeah, pretty much. I think they're good for everybody's teenage years. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's what happens. Yeah. So it's really beyond your control. So WrestleMania 21, as I said, April 3rd, 2005, uh, came to us from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California, had an attendance of right around 20,100, had a little over a million pay-per-view buys, uh, and had the tagline, WrestleMania Goes Hollywood. So there's a Hollywood theme throughout this one. The runtime on this bad boy is three hours and 45 minutes, so we're sub four hours, which is great. Uh, I didn't actually expect to see a sub four hour WrestleMania again anytime soon, but here we are. Um, on commentary, which kind of the standard setup that we've had the last few times here, we've got Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler for the Raw matches, and good old Michael Cole and Taz for the SmackDown matches. So what, um, what background did you want to provide before we get into this particular event? So WrestleMania 1 was in New York City uh, at Madison Square Garden. And so it was WrestleMania 20. And then WrestleMania 2 was in Uniondale, New York, Rosemont, Illinois, and Los Angeles. And WrestleMania 21 is in Los Angeles. WrestleMania 22 is in Rosemont. And then WrestleMania 23 is in Detroit, where WrestleMania 3 was. So I think there's an interesting little parody that they're trying to do here. And I think it goes along the lines of them trying to establish their roots as something that's been deep ingrained in the culture, even though it really hasn't been around that long. You know, that's that's something for one brand, but, you know, it's still not uh, spectacular. So I think it's interesting little like callback that they're doing. As for this event, it's really set up by the Royal Rumble match. The Royal Rumble is always the road to WrestleMania. It's it's everybody even just considers it like the stepping stone 
the and the setup for WrestleMania. And this one was spectacular as the Royal Rumble of 2005 match features probably the biggest botched finish in all of WWF history. Picture it. 28 people have been eliminated and we're down to Dave Batista from the Raw brand and John Cena from the SmackDown brand. And this is supposed to be Batista's kickoff to being the next big thing. And so Batista goes to put Cena in the Batista bomb and Cena reverses it, but they lose their balance and they both go flying out of the ring at the same time. That wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) Yeah, no bueno. No. Uh, So the referees are yelling that Batista won and the SmackDown referees are yelling that Cena won. And it's a pretty good cover that's happening until Vince McMahon is legit pissed and comes storming down to the ring. And he's got his little, his little hustle, that weird cocky walk that he does that he looks like he's like a, like a marionette on strings, like bouncing around (laughs) down the ramp. And uh, he's got his head rocking back and forth and everything. And so he goes to run and slide into the ring. Like he's really cool, you know, uh, kind of like how John Cena does, but his knees catch the top of the apron and rip both of his quadriceps off the bone. Sweet Jesus. Uh, and, and so now you have this amazing scene of Vince McMahon in horrible pain, screaming at everybody, but is sitting in the corner. <laughs> he can't stand up. He's, he's, he's just stuck sitting and he's yelling for them to restart the Royal Rumble, but he can't get out of the ring. Uh, <laughs> So they have to like oh, no. help him. They have to help him out. Then they restart the match, and Batista ends up uh, throwing Cena over the top rope and winning the Royal Rumble with uh, with a spinebuster. And such a ceremonious start to Batista's grand rise to stardom. Yeah, nothing like a pair of torn quadriceps to really set the scene for you. I'm going to have to go back and watch that Royal Rumble. I don't think I've ever seen that one. So I'm going to check that for sure. Um, Cause I, yeah. you know, it's I, a great I, one. It's yeah. a great one. <laughs> I would like, I'd like to see Vince McMahon in pain. Honestly, it's, it's one of the main reasons. <laughs> I mean, all you're missing now is it's like Bret Hart showing up and putting him in the SARP shooter after he's torn oh, with quadriceps just to finish him off. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah, that's quite the the scene setter. And then, so, of course, John Cena and Dave Batista uh, are separately in the last two sort of the big events for this particular WrestleMania. They're about to push the hell out of Batista and not Cena, really, even though, you know, it's Cena, John Cena. We all know the future, that John Cena is like the next big thing to Hulk Hogan with merchandise and... Uh, permanent face status and stuff like that. So it's interesting that they don't see that yet in Cena, it feels like. Uh, and But they think that Batista's that. So Yeah, I mean, John Cena's sitting right there. Um, I mean, I think I, I sort of understand it, I think, because Batista looks more like what Vince always wanted his stars to look like, right? He's huge. He's muscle-bound. Uh, John Cena's a little bit shorter. I mean, he's, he's ripped, obviously, but he's not that like gigantic specimen that Vince was always looking for. Um, he's also, you know, Batista's covered in tattoos. So he's kind of, I don't know, he's got a cool look. Um, I, I think, I think I get it, but I mean, when it comes to like their work and stuff, obviously one of them has stood the test of the time and the other one has not really. 
Yeah, and we're in the era of where the personality and the mic skills are far more important now than any kind of ring presence. I mean, you you got to put on a, a good match and not hurt people and stuff, but the fans are really reacting to what you're saying. Because, I mean, Stone Cold is still around. He's not wrestling. But he's still a huge name in, in WWE in 2005, just because he's an on-mic presence. Yeah, he pops up at the beginning of this one. I just, maybe this is a good segue. There's sort of a succession of really cheesy movie scenes where they've put WWE superstars into various scenes. I thought the best one was Booker T and Eddie Guerrero as Jules and Vincent from Pulp Fiction. Batista does a passable De Niro impression from Taxi Driver. And then the last one is a scene from Gladiator. Uh, and it turned then the part played by Russell Crowe um, is stone cold. He turns around. There's a big reveal. It's, it's really dumb, honestly. Uh, yeah. But again, it gets a huge pop even from the crowd for this stupid ass, uh, you know, kind of Hollywood nonsense just because it's stone cold. Right. And he's, he's right there. Lillian Garcia sings America, the beautiful. She's a long time announcer. She's only recently uh, sort of left the company. I, I really liked her actually. So she does, she does yeah. a fine job. She she's very sharp through this, and it it hurt me a little bit, but you know <laughs> it's okay. I, I it wasn't god awful, but it was definitely like she was out of tune, and that's yeah. okay. That's okay. It's a big crowd, and she was very young and new, and suddenly uh, it kind of felt like the Mean Gene Okerlund suddenly being forced to sing the national anthem, <laughs> yeah, kind of kind of thing. <clears throat> well, somebody didn't show up. Quick, get it, get Mean Gene out there. Oh. And uh, I just want to point out that because of math, this is technically the 20th anniversary of WrestleMania, this one. Right, because there's no WrestleMania Zero. It's like the Millennium in 2001. Yeah, yeah. So how much do you think the WWE paid for the rights for oh all God. those movies? I don't know. There's a bunch of them. Forrest Gump is in the mix there. Um, what else was on? Um, uh, Rick Flair and Triple H were Braveheart. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. Oh, uh, so dumb. Yeah, uh, Forrest Gump. Eugene was in Forrest Gump. Yeah, I like. I really liked Eugene, by the way. But you did. I did. I didn't. Oh, no. I I felt offended by like his character, but his ring work was always great. I thought so. I was. Oh man, I enjoyed him. His wrestling. This is kind of in the period when I wasn't watching much, so Eugene was a uh, surprise to me when he shows up at this event, and um, I have some thoughts when we get there. Yeah. So. As you as you might expect, but so the very first match on the card that we get to see anyway is Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero, which honestly has the makings of an all time great match, and I think they they pretty much they deliver. I thought like this is a fantastic match in my opinion. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening with this match. Uh, so this is so Eddie and Ray are tag champions and they decided to fight each other. So that means that the tag team championship is not going to be defended at WrestleMania. So it's kind of like the, the death knell for, for tag teams. Now, finally um, the Royal rumble, there was no tag match at the Royal rumble. And that was the first uh, WWF pay-per-view since the wrestling classic to not feature at least one tag team match on it. Wow. Yeah. Bad. Bad sign for the tag team division. If you're a tag team specialist, it's time to get your resume together. <laughs> Maybe polish up those solo moves a little bit. So, I mean, the Dudleys are gone. Yeah. You know, we do we we don't see the Hardy Boys on this either. It's really how quickly that tag team uh, action uh, disappeared and faded away. Yeah, Edge and Christian are solo by this point. 
Yeah, you're right. Even uh, JBL, Bradshaw, you know, he was obviously a big part of the acolytes with Ron Simmons. So they're right. they're split up. They're not together anymore. The world's um, greatest tag tag team, Shelton Benjamin's there, but uh, Charlie Haas, I don't know where he went. <laughs> He's down at the Charlie Haas of pancakes. Am I right? Ah, yeah, get it. Sick burn. Anyway, in the boysenberry. <laughs> So these guys uh, are really good. I don't know. That's that's maybe an understatement. There's a couple of moves here where like you know Eddie arm drags Ray at like a hundred miles an hour. Um, there's a really cool sort of fast exchange of like maneuvers and attempted maneuvers right near the beginning, and then they take like an applause break, and the crowd is popping even for like simple submission moves. They're really into yeah. it. It's this nonstop, and it's a there's a really fun mix between the mat work and the aerial tactics and the flippy flippy doodah stuff that's a lot of it's it's really a fun match to watch and is a great opening to the show except michael cole never stops talking through the whole damn thing he's just look at eddie look at ray it doesn't stop i bet he's an absolute nightmare to go to the movies with Oh my God, he's got to do play by play of everything. Yeah. Why is it going in the basement? There's nothing down there. I bet there's nothing down there. We shouldn't go down in that basement. I wouldn't go down in that basement. Do you think you should go down in the basement? I don't think so. Hey, shut up, Michael Cole. <laughs> and while we're talking about commentary, Taz calls it the 619er. <laughs> the 619er. I like that. Because he's on the CB with the trucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your trucker culture stuff is coming back. Yeah, here it goes. Um, there's a really crazy corkscrew move from Ray kind of he does this like diving corkscrew over the top ropes and lands on eddie who's down on the floor and then eddie turns around and does two backbreakers on ray in a row they're like just brutal yeah and the crowd the crowd goes oh both of time both of the times he does that yeah um, it looks like he's gonna snap him in half like oh i God. swear like like ray's ankles hit the back of his head on yeah. the, over his over eddie's knee it's like ooh, folded completely in half it was, yeah fantastic match great way to start the show it's about 13 minutes long there's a real quick surprise ending and the two guys shake hands sort of you know cementing their you know they're still friends as a face versus face no hard feelings i really great start to the show yeah definitely there's a promo with jbl and the usa champion who was that actually I- orlando jordan Flair, yeah. Triple H. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. The only thing I could pay attention to was that Triple H's championship belt says the word triple and then the letter H. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> I couldn't stop staring at that at all. Like, uh, listen to uh, Jim Cornette talk about Triple H because, like, Vince Russo said that Jim Cornette was an idiot for saying that Triple H would never draw money. And Jim Cornette is like, that's not what I said. I said Hunter Hearst Helmsley would never draw money. He has to change his, he has to somehow and like organically he became Triple H. And that's when he really took off that Hunter Hearst Helmsley was never going to do it. But Triple H, it's cool. It's easy to say, but take off. But Jesus Christ, his championship belt literally says the word triple and then H. <laughs> Like, yeah. So do you think when Triple H like tries to look up Triple A in the phone book, he looks under T instead of A? <laughs> that's, a that's a good question, which, by the way, I have to tell you that my uncle doesn't call it Triple A. 
he says it's uh you i had to call three a's to fix my that's what my mom used to say my mom used to say the same thing really maybe, maybe it's a generational thing I, that's i guess maybe but that's really funny it's like three a's at the oh triple a that's what, <laughs> what he's you mean triple a <laughs> yeah well that's you know i had to go down to the uh the two a's meeting because my drinking got out of hand <laughs> you're a single a uh yeah. <laughs> Well, why is okay? So why is A A A A and not double A? And why is the why is the battery double A and not A A? Because Arn Anderson already copyrighted double right, A. He got double A. He trademarked it. Um, this is some also, heavy language shit. It is also Triple H's facial hair suspect. Uh, like it's so like ew, it makes me feel dirty looking at it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like because he's got like it's kind of like the Hulk Hogan a little bit. He's got the sideburns that's connected to the mustache, but no beard. Right. So like he shaved the chin, but everything else is there, and it's just seventies porn trucker look kind of. <laughs> I was going with metal biker. I was I was thinking maybe he was taking tips from Lemmy. Oh yeah. Later. That's actually probably a good call that he's trying to look like Lemmy because, you know, Lemmy sings his theme song. I'm really glad you put that together for me. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's his facial hair is highly suspect. I didn't appreciate it at all. Speaking of things I didn't appreciate, um, the next up is the Money in the Bank ladder match. This is our first Money in the Bank uh, thing at a WrestleMania. The concept was relatively new, just kind of came around. Um, I don't know that this was necessarily the first Money in the Bank match. I don't believe it was, but it's the first time we've seen one at a WrestleMania. I think it actually is the first. Is it the very uh, first? First Money in the Bank match. Let's uh, let's Google that real quick. All right, you ask Wikipedia while I run down the participants. So this is Edge, Chris Jericho, Shelton Benjamin, Chris Benoit. Christian, who was there with Tyson Tomko, who I don't remember, who was huge. Nope. And Kane, well-known ladder user, uh, Kane. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things does not belong. Spoiler alert, it's Kane. Yeah, um, but Kane puts on a hell of a show anyway. This is indeed the first Money in the Bank match. The very first one. Imagine that. You heard it here first, folks. And so this match also involves the Intercontinental Champion. So the Intercontinental Championship also will not defended at this WrestleMania. It's a bunch of bullshit is what I'm coming around to. Yeah. Right away, we know that there's going to be a lot of ill-advised spots here. Lots of people standing around waiting to be jumped on. Lots of uh, OSHA violations. Um, and, there, you know, there's a few things to call uh, call attention to. I think Shelton Benjamin actually surprised us both uh, with some of the stuff that he pulls in this match. He's like... Yeah, he's all over the place. He apparently has no fear. Yeah, so he was the Intercontinental Champion at this time. Okay, because that dude deserves it because he works his ass off in his match. He does a does a spot that's uh, it's actually on my list possibly for an oh shit moment, and he he does an, a T bone slam onto Edge from the top of the ladder that I cringed, I shook, and I couldn't look away. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, I don't remember Shelton Benjamin being that hardcore. Like, I don't <laughs> like, holy shit, dude. He'd been hanging out with Bob Holly or something. I don't know. He, uh, power bombs Jericho off the top of the ladder at one point too. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Um, Chris Benoit is here. So, you know, he's always going to act like a maniac. He, uh, he German suplexes Chris Jericho while Jericho is like holding a ladder and Jericho yes. like, throws it back over his head. <laughs> that was great. Um, Benoit reverses uh, Kane's choke slam into a cross face. Yeah, beautiful. Oh. 
He's also wrestling with a bunch of ugly stitches over his eye. Um, it looks really nasty, and it kind of like I don't think they quite pop, but they definitely start bleeding around the edges before this is all over. Yeah, uh, and Kane then uh, locks Benoit's arm between the ladder legs at one point and starts smashing on Benoit's arm. And Benoit sells the shit out of that through the entire match. It's impressive. You don't see guys for as long as this match goes, remember to sell something like that forever. Like he does. So. Yeah. Cause even on this, his very spot, very near the end where he's climbing up the rope to do his, um, he climbs up the corner and then onto the ladder to do this like crazy diving headbutt thing. Um, he's holding his arm the whole time. He's, he's making his way up that ladder. Yeah, and um, so we had Michael Cole who wouldn't stop talking in that first match, but we have JR in this match that leaves room for the action to breathe, and therefore you can actually remember the things he says. So (laughs) JR at one point says, Christian has eaten more ladder than what the law should allow. I I don't know what that means, but God damn it, JR, that's a brilliant line. Does the does the law specify how many ladders you should eat? I I, I you know I should know that I work with the law, so I yeah, should, look that up, would you? I should I, I should check. I did note that uh, Jerry Lawler says it's like open house at Home Depot. That made me laugh. <laughs> That's good. Home Depot is uh, always open. It's they don't need an open house. It's a store. But anyway, Jr. also references Stinger Splash at one point, which I appreciated greatly because now that like uh, WCW has been folded into the mix properly and completely, now Jr. is throwing in more old school references that people, uh, the older generation, can appreciate. So yeah, this, so this is a bit of a spot fest. Um, uh, I mean, there's if you like this sort of thing, you'll like this match. Um, I don't particularly care for this kind of thing, but I did find you know, there's plenty of stuff to kind of keep you interested. Um, yeah, there was a moment that made me laugh really hard, and it was like right after Benjamin does that T-bone slam on Edge off the top of the ladder, Jericho then notices that they're laying there, and so Jericho just pushes the ladder over on top of both of them. <laughs> <laughs> just insult to injury? Yeah, pretty much. Um, um, Jericho has a really unfortunate like black beard here. I didn't. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of facial hair, we didn't appreciate. It's not. It's not a good look. No, and uh, another bad look was uh, Kane botching a choke slam on Benjamin. I don't know if you caught that. <laughs> yeah. He botched the choke slam over the top rope on Benjamin, and Benjamin got his foot caught in the ropes and started and was hanging there upside down. And like Kane even stopped for a moment. You can tell that he asked Benjamin if he's okay, <laughs> and then the refs help uh, Benjamin get out of the out of the horrible situation. Whoops. Yeah, that's not so good. Yeah. Edge hits Benoit with a chair, right? And then Benoit takes a chair shot on the arm from somebody right. and Edge jumps up the ladder and snatches the briefcase for the win. And like Benoit's bleeding all over the all over the place. So he actually does a headbutt, the flying headbutt with his with his head and stitches, and that gets him oh my god, there's so much blood. <laughs> Yeah, that's the one I was talking about. He puts the ladder in the corner, like runs up the turnbuckle and then runs directly onto the ladder up to the top. That made me very nervous. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that was spectacular. (laughs) So Edge gets the briefcase. He gets the win. The idea is then he can 
cash in that money in the bank contract at any point in the next what year to get a shot so. at any title that he wants. Um, so that I mean, it's kind of a smart device, honestly, for for setting up ongoing storylines because it adds this sort of element of unpredictability. You know, what's Edge going to do with that briefcase? When's he going to cash in his money in a bank contract? You never know, right? And then they also don't need an excuse. Maybe this is, uh, you know, what you'd call lazy booking. I don't know. But then they don't need an excuse to all of a sudden throw Edge in the ring with pretty much anybody that they want to. Like, well, it's time. He cashed it in. You get a match. Right, but you also end up with these uh, shitty situations that was that are reminiscent of like Hulk Hogan, Yokozuna, Bret Hart at WrestleMania Nine, where uh, they just finish having a tremendous match, and then the uh, Money in the Bank winner comes rolling down yeah. <laughs> and wins and wins the belt in ten seconds and rolls out. Like, well, that's kind of cheap, but yeah, that's true. Do? That's true. So next up is a little in-ring segment with uh, your buddy Eugene, and uh, he's okay. So I don't know how to how to describe this here. I mean, this is a pretty impressive combination of ableism and xenophobia in one uh, one segment. Yeah, <laughs> so. uh, I do want to advise you that one of the reasons why I love Eugene's work is that he's one of the doinks. Is he really? He was one of the doinks. Oh, well then, I get it. <laughs> I wish he would have just been doink instead of this Eugene character. But, anyways. So, Eugene, uh, char- the Eugene character is a is a gentleman with uh, some sort of, of indistinct cognitive disability, right? They don't quite make it clear, but he is like hamming it up like Sean Penn and I am Sam. Uh, he's doing all the gesturing. He's doing all the weird facial tics. He's doing all the um, stuttering and stuff. Um, his name is written backwards on his jacket. Like somehow his cognitive disability extends to his tailoring. Um, I'm not sure if it's because he's wearing the jacket inside out. Maybe. Or, I don't know. But um, it's anyway. very reminiscent of the uh, famous advice that's given in the movie Tropic Thunder that I won't repeat here. Um, yeah, but if you never, want the Academy Award, you never... Never go full Eugene. Right. Yeah. Um, so he's he's here basically to say that he's super happy to be at WrestleMania. We're all supposed to like feel excited for him because you know he's he's got a disability. And so therefore he's, he's supposed to be inspirational, which is also gross. Um, and then Muhammad Hassan comes out, um, to yell at him, uh, and also to allow Hassan's manager to break into Arabic, which is a, a pretty reliable source of, of heat. Uh, and the crowd sort of responds in kind. They, they boo pretty lustily when he does that little, little, uh, Arabic section there. I would point out though, that Muhammad Hassan nowadays, again, like Mr. Perfect with his, uh, bashing of big boss, man, Muhammad Hassan would possibly be faced for what he says that he points out that Hollywood has a history of racism and bigotry and that it's possible racism as to the reason why he doesn't have a match on the card at WrestleMania. I mean, the dude looks like a million bucks. Yeah. He's, he's Vince's type. So I think yeah. he has a point. <clears throat> yeah, I would agree. Um, so they, they start to whoop on Eugene and then who shows up to save him? We hit that Rick Springfield music. It's the real American Rick Derringer. Rick. God damn it. Hit that Rick Derringer music. Here comes Hawk Hogan run through. Hell his yeah, moves. brother. <laughs> 
it gets telegraphed, right? Yeah. Anybody that's uh, somewhat of a wrestling historian, it gets telegraphed because Hassan puts Eugene in the camel clutch. And so that only means one thing. Hulk Hogan is coming down to the ring, brother. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to feel the wrath of America and Twilight's last creaming. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew you would get to it. <laughs> every episode. Every episode. Yeah. Now that has to have that phrase. <laughs> the crowd flips its ever-loving mind, though, for him. Um, he's got his, his red and yellow uh, mustard gimmick. So he's... Um, you know, he's Hollywood Hogan here, right? But he's not the black he's, and white. He's Hulk Hogan still. But he's yeah, not. I mean, it's it's eh, he's like this amalgam. Like he's like the the final phase of The Undertaker at this point. Yeah. Where like <laughs> <laughs> The Undertaker's the biker, the MMA, and the dead man all at the same time. Yeah. Hulk Hogan is, is all-American apple pie, take your vitamins, brother. Hollywood, bad guy, and aging superstar everybody loves. Hulk Hogan. It's the final evolution of the Hulk Hogan Pokemon. Right. So, but so anyway, he saves Eugene, does his pose down. The music just keeps playing and playing and playing. He's hamming it up. Um, so the other, the other tip off is that he was inducted into the hall of fame the night before, which I think they gave you a clip of a little bit earlier in the show. So, you know, he's in the area, right? And the crowd has to be expecting him at some point. Yeah. He's in town. You know he's in town. <laughs> also, it's in Hollywood, and he freaking lives there. Right? Oh no, he lives in Tampa. Never mind. Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about today. I'm all over the place. Too much cold medicine, apparently. All right. Anything else to say about Hollywood, Eugene? Uh, the only thing that I'll point out is that now that we're approaching the third match, is that we're an hour into the show. <laughs> yeah, it takes an hour to get to the third match of this WrestleMania. We're in the modern era now. So next up on the card is the undertaker versus Randy Orton. Um, Randy's in his legend killer phase here. So he's been going through a bunch of old guys beating him up. He beat up Harley race. Um, let's see. He beat up Ric Flair. Did he beat up Ric Flair? Yeah, um, I think so. I mean, this is after the evolution breakup. He's beating up all the old guys. And the only one that he hasn't beaten up is his dad, Cowboy Bob. And they show one clip of Cowboy Bob uh, confronting the Undertaker to go easy on Randy. And just for them to gang up on the Undertaker, obviously. But it is more engaging. Just the Cowboy Bob Orton and Undertaker interaction is far more engaging than anything I've ever seen Randy Orton do. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was actually a really good segment. I thought he... Bob Orton's acting his ass off. Yeah. Uh, and his arm's still broken. <laughs> his arm is perpetually broken. So ah, that nagging injury just won't heal. Mm. He must have some sort of calcium deficiency. That's the only yeah. thing I can think of. At this point, it might be osteoporosis. Oh, poor cowboy Bob. So they're really playing up the Undertaker streak here. He's on, this is on, uh, he's got 12 wins, right? So this will be number yeah. 13. Yeah. Um, his voiceover the- promo is cheesy as hell. Yeah. Before the match starts. And the Torch guys are back. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure one of the Torch guys was Rikishi. You could see his face. Really? Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's Rikishi. There's one Torch guy that's a little bit bigger than the others and looks a bit Samoan. <laughs> they must have had a call out. Was, uh, look, we need, uh, we need a replacement left Torch bearer number four. Get in there. Yeah. I know at WrestleMania 20, um, Dr. Tom Pritchard was one of the... <laughs> one of the torch bearers uh, and he was backstage and they're like, we need torch bearers. And uh, he was like, I'll do it. So they 
throw That's them out funny. there to do it. Ugh, those those torches look really unsafe. Yeah, um, they don't look good. Uh, uh, practical. You cannot let your child handle those. No, please. So they're billing the Undertaker here as three hundred and five pounds. Um, and he's definitely looking a little bigger and thicker than I think I've yeah. seen him before. Maybe that's why they use the conveyor belt to get him to the ring <laughs> this time. I don't know if you noticed that that like he kind of like hovered to the ring. They covered a conveyor in in smoke, and he like zipped to the ring. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Did you catch Taz referring to his hands as soup bones? Um, oh man, no, I missed it. Oh, because <laughs> yeah. we talked about that when one of the um, who was who, it was uh, shit. It was I was the Chi Town Rumble, I think. Yeah, Chi Town Rumble. Uh, Jr. keeps uh, referring to um, Butch Reed's yeah, Butch uh, Reed, right? This as um, as soup as bones, soup bones. Yeah, yeah. Um, Taz refers to them both as soup bones, and then he calls them ham hocks. So, well, yeah. Well, ham hocks is a callback to the Undertaker's debut at this at the one Survivor Series. So when he shows up. Um, Roddy Piper screams out, look at the ham hocks on that guy. Um, wow. That's a deep yeah. cut. It is a deep cut, but you know, I love the undertaker. So I have a lot of things memorized. Wow. Uh, I didn't know. I didn't remember that at all. So thanks yeah. for, thanks for bringing that up. I was just thinking Taz is just kind of hungry. Like he's been out here for an hour already. It's, he's probably got a little hungry, but I mean, he barely gets to talk because Michael Cole doesn't <laughs> shut up. So I don't know how he's worked up an appetite. Get him some ham and bean soup. Better yet, give the ham and bean soup to Michael Cole so he can eat it and shut the fuck up. Right. And we can enjoy Taz talking because Taz actually knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So this is, I think, maybe the most offense we've seen anyone get on The Undertaker in a WrestleMania, maybe aside from that last one against um, Kane. Although, no, he kind of just whooped on Kane last time, too. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, Orton really, like, gets some actual heat on The Undertaker. Undertaker does a good job putting randy over to a certain extent but it also kind of made me miss the stalking undertaker so like remember we always, i always talk about how like the original undertaker concept he never runs or anything like that he just has bursts of attack but he's always just stalking and lurking because he's got all the time in the world um and i kind of i kind of miss that approach to his fighting and i actually think if he would have stuck with that he would have had a longer career yeah, less it's hard less hard on your uh, joints and such for sure. There was a spot where Orton goes for the RKO and Undertaker just threw him over the top rope. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. <laughs> that was that was great. Uh and Undertaker also landed a really nasty looking leg drop on the apron, which is classic. And I'm going to shit on Michael Cole some more. Uh Michael Cole says everyone is on their feet and literally no one in the camera <laughs> shot is standing up. <laughs> What a lying asshole that guy is. God damn it. It's like, it's just not There's stop. video evidence, Michael Cole. Yeah. We don't buy your lies anymore. Uh, the crowd really gets in the chanting that Randy sucks. He's reached Max Heel now. He, uh, yeah. So. He does suck. This is probably one of Undertaker's best matches and that we've seen in a very long time out of him. Um, that was actually like legitimately competitive. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I know you like sort of the you know, the squashing uh, Undertaker matches, but this was, this was good. It was like good back and forth. I, I'm not a, I'm not as much of a Randy Orton hater as you are. I don't think, but I, I'm still not, I wouldn't count myself as a fan, but uh, he actually does a pretty good job here. And those, they work together really well. Um, 
the cowboy Bob intervenes and clocks Undertaker with the cast because, you know, his arm's still broken. They bump the ref. There's some yeah. um, shenanigans near the end. Uh, actually pretty suspenseful. I thought um, Bob, cowboy Bob drags Randy on top of the Undertaker who's laid out for the pin, but it gets the kick out. And then Orton goes for a tombstone, which is, I got to say, one of the dumber ideas he's ever had. <laughs> it's not a good idea, kid. <laughs> and the Undertaker just like flips over onto his own feet yeah. and reverses it for the win. Yeah. Uh, and that puts him at 13-0 and 0 on the streak. Yeah, uh, I, I actually noted that Earl Hebner sold the hell out of that ending. Like, like <laughs> the referee suddenly out of that match was like very integral in the ending and really made it uh, top notch. And he did a great job with that. Did you watch that uh, Undertaker's Last Ride uh, documentary series? No, I watched the I watched the Stone Cold interviews, but I didn't watch yeah. that. Piece. So I believe in that it was in that that he talks about he was like one of Randy Orton's very first matches, and he he sold to Randy Orton more than what he was told to to try and help the kid look good and get him you know established, and the match ends up getting like cut to shreds uh for smackdown in the editing room because uh vince wanted it to be a uh a squash match that like basically just wanted orton the job to him and i thought oh, that wow. was, that's a really interesting little thing maybe he talked about that on the stone cold one one of the stone cold ones but yeah so that's an interesting story that undertaker tells about um being like one of Orton's first televised matches and he puts him over more than he was supposed to and gets in trouble and stuff, but he wanted to take care of or Andy Orton. Yeah. That's interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to know how, how um, common that was, you know, with other guys like that. So anything else to say about this match? I, like I said, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Uh, it was one a good one. Of, one of the better undertaker at WrestleMania matches we've seen so far. Yeah, Definitely. All right, there's a WWE Women's Championship match coming up. Yeah. Um, Trish Stratus versus Christy Hemi, who's there with Lita. Uh, I don't remember Christy at all. Apparently, she was in Playboy. Trish is jealous. She spray-painted slut on her back at one time, which is not very cool. That's that's not what the kind of sisterhood we're, we're going for. Um it's I so I will say this is more of a actual match than that abomination of an evening gown match that we saw at the last WrestleMania. But there's not a whole lot here to recommend. No, that's only because Trish Stratus is involved in this match. Uh, so they have a, a so-so women's wrestler, uh, Trish Stratus, versus a, a not wrestler at all. <laughs> right. And I'm pretty sure that the finish was botched because I'm pretty sure that ref counted to four and she, he kicked that she kicked out on four. And <laughs> like and uh I think Trish forgot to kick out or something and, and that, just, he just kept counting. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what happened there. It was kind of weird. Uh hmm. but yeah, Trish Trish retains. Well, yeah, actually, I think finish. I think women actually get get till four it's like on the golf you know when the tees are like a little bit further close they get uh they get a four count instead of a three count it's like the, <laughs> I don't, i'm not sure actually about the rules um so christy i noted actually went on to some success at tna wrestling but i i don't care next no. up kurt angle versus Shawn michaels i'm kind of mad because this i i enjoyed a, a Shawn michaels match yeah um and i'm i'm not really happy about it we shouldn't be but we have to acknowledge uh, we have game has to recognize game right so <laughs> yeah <laughs> credit we're where good it's, credit <laughs> where it's due right yeah 
uh, Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle put on a hell of a match here. And this is going to be the third WrestleMania in a row where it's just like, holy shit, Kurt Angle. Why? I have like, I now have like a series of fantasy matches running in my head at all times that I want to see Kurt Angle in. Yeah. And it makes me, <laughs> makes me angry that I didn't appreciate him better when I was younger. But I think this is because Kurt Angle was such a damn good heel. Right. That uh, it makes you ignore that he was actually an amazing in-ring talent. He's really fucking good. Like, I, maybe that's probably obvious to people who, you know, were paying a lot more attention um, at this time. But, like, going back and watching these WrestleManias, like you said, the last, uh, this is three in a row, or just four in a row, where he's, like, one of the highlights of the card and really saves the card from being kind of, extra crappy like just by the virtue of his um his abilities so um and i think so what's interesting with the story of this match is you know they're really playing up um you know kurt as the legit athlete you know the shooter the uh the ncaa the olympic wrestling champion all that stuff um and how Sean is, is, you know, kind of the flashy uh, Mr. WrestleMania. He's the sports entertainer, right? He's all the, the flips and the flying around and all that stuff. And so, you know, the expectation that they're setting up in the, in the pre-match and as people are, as they're sort of making their entrances is that it's going to be sort of a, a clash of styles. Um, but Sean's approach is to basically try to shoot on Kurt, right? Like, I mean, shoot, yeah. you know, next in, in, um, in quotation marks, he's not actually, you know, he's, he's trying to take Kurt's approach to, to Kurt, you know, mat wrestling, um, like headlock takeovers, arm bars, sort of ground control stuff. Um, and it's really, it's kind of, it's really smart. Like, I don't know who came up with that approach. I'm going to just go ahead and say it was Kurt. Cause I don't want to give Sean credit if I don't have to. Um, but it's, it's kind of brilliant. This is the first time that I've ever heard, the phrase uh, catch as catch can being referring to Shawn Michaels. And I don't understand, like this might've actually even been like the earliest reference I've ever heard of that term for professional wrestling style. And I'm still quite not sure what it means. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think it goes back to the, you know, the real origins of the sport, right. And the sort of the, the dock, you know, the guys like the shoot wrestling on the docks and, you know, those kinds of things. Right. And the, the holds and the, the submissions and the controlling your opponent and, and, you know, the throws and those kinds of things. Yeah, um, but catch as catch can just means that you do anything necessary to win. Um, from everything that I've like looked up for definition of catch as catch can. And one, I had to figure out what the hell they're saying. Cause everybody always says it so fast as <laughs> I like, catch a catch can like, is that a martial art? Catch a chan? Did I, is that this one I haven't heard of or, but yeah, they refer to Shawn Michaels as a catch as catch can specialist. And I don't know if like, if that's just trying them trying to put like a legitimate sounding name onto a professional wrestler that isn't classically trained in amateur collegiate style wrestling that doesn't know the Greco Roman tradition or, like what, what is, what is happening with that? <laughs> so I think, I mean, I think the, the sort of the definition is kind of the, um, what I want to say, sort of a traditional 
style, like kind of like in, involving some of the collar and elbow stuff, but then also like the submissions and holds and hooks and those kinds of things. Um, but Shawn Michaels is not one of those wrestlers, right? Like, no. Kurt Angle is one of those wrestlers. I mean, he's a he's a traditional, you know, Olympic style wrestler, but he's also like again, he's got he's got submissions, he's got holds, he's got throws, he's got all those those kinds of things. Shawn Michaels is um I I don't know how you would describe it, like a freestyle wrestler, like and he's not that at all. Like and they're they're talking about his approach in this match is catch wrestling. Um but it's that's not what he does. Um, so anyway, like I thought, I thought it was really interesting. The announcers won't stop yeah. talking about how all this, this must be throwing Kurt off of his game and Kurt was coming in expecting to shoot on him and, um, and all this stuff. So I thought it was kind of, kind of smart and, I, and it made the match really enjoyable. According to the idiom dictionary on writingexplained.org. The phrase catches catch can comes from an old style of wrestling that allowed participants to use many moves not usually permitted in wrestling. For example, catches catch can wrestlers may hold each other below the waist or even trip each other. Therefore, catches catch can wrestlers take advantage of any opportunity afforded to them, including opportunities not usually used by other wrestlers. Likewise, when something is described as catches catch can, it is done in a way that allows any advantage possible to be used. We see that Angle can do it all in this match. Um, Sean does a good job. And yeah, okay, great. But Angle... <laughs> Angle, we see that Angle can tell a story. We see that Angle can shoot. He can bump. He can everything. He he's he is incredible in this match. Absolutely stunning. And he's got counters for Sean's weird shit. And he's got like legitimate moves. His vertical suplex is a thing of beauty. Uh, yeah. I, oh my god. Uh, and at one point angle starts bleeding from the mouth yeah. and that, and he's, and he's using it. Like he's making he it like work. a maniac. Yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. Like he just like bit into a raw steak outside of the <laughs> ring or something. <laughs> like, I was just assuming he like chewed halfway through his tongue. Just, just for the effect. There's some spectacular spots, but the match just keeps going too. So it's never like it slows down and then there's a spot and then slows down again or anything like that. It, it's always moving, but there's, there's very great spots and Sean is moving fast in this match too, to keep up with angle. He's struggling a little bit to keep up with angle, but angle like in his match with Eddie Guerrero, he gets frustrated that his, his pure wrestling isn't working. And so he starts throwing punches and that's when he always falls apart. And that's when things turn around because Sean and Eddie Guerrero are both better brawlers than angle. Um, And that's the story that angle wants to tell that, he can he can put you in a in a thousand holds and make you tap ten million ways, but if you if he's got a punch with you, he he just can't keep up with you. Yeah, yeah, and there's some stuff where um, Sean lays some serious like flare esque knife edge chops on Kurt. They were uh, whew, they were yeah. tough. Um, Sean does his ugly crossbody from the top rope to the floor and almost lands on his damn head. Um, I, he should not be doing that at his age. He also does a springboard from the second rope 
like backwards to kind of land on Kurt, who's laying on the announcer's table. That was really ugly. Yeah, and the um, table didn't break. No. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> they both roll over uh, onto the floor. It's like, woof. Uh, I think the crossbody is where Angle starts bleeding because I think Sean – uh, catches him in the mouth with his knee on the crossbody. Uh, yeah, that would make sense. Um, so they, uh, when they're back in the ring, then Kurt gets that ankle lock on, and and like it's not it's not going right. Sean's not tapping out. Sean keeps flipping him over and trying to roll up, and then he he'll go back to the ankle lock, um, and then he catches uh, an attempted sweet chin music and goes into the uh, angle slam, which I I always love that move. It's so great. And then after another finisher kick out, Kurt's like loses his shit and he grabs Sean and starts like yelling in his face. And Sean takes like one step back and super kicks him like right on the button. And he just he crashes over completely amazing back body, uh, back, back bump there. And that moment is, is pretty amazing because uh, Angle had taken his straps down to show that he was meaning business earlier in the match. And at that moment, he put the straps back up. <laughs> and then takes them back down again <laughs> to, to like, he's really mad now. Um, and there was also, uh, so angle at one point, uh, does his angle slam of Sean into the ring post, Oof. which w- looked hella tough. Um, and that's, that's another thing that angle is so great at is that he's still using these like legit moves but in like a context of professional wrestling that makes them look hardcore and tough and, and dangerous, which is, which is always incredible. Yeah. That, that crossbody was bad. Uh, Brett or uh, Sean goes for an elbow from the top rope, but he kind of telegraphs that he's going to miss because you can see him rotate his body around to make it a back bump so that he doesn't land on his front. But angle doesn't do that when he misses that moonsault. He goes for that moonsault <laughs> no, from goes, the top rope, and it's like a hard, straight belly flop right onto the mat. Like, yeah, whew, like how are you breathing after that? Yeah, he's he takes that one every time. He takes that one too. Yeah, like every match we've seen him do that that spot where he misses the moonsault. It's a straight down belly flop. It's insane. Yeah, and so. then finally he gets Sean in the ankle lock again, and Sean is like wiggling around like a fish out of water in a boat like that has been like <laughs> like a marlin losing its mind because it's been caught and he's flipping around and shaking and like kurt has the blood coming out of his mouth and he's like screaming it's it's a hell of a visual that happens at the end of this match yeah it's really great i swear he is in that ankle lock for like three full minutes it seems yeah. like it seems like it's forever um I was actually kind of angle was taking a souvenir. <laughs> yeah, he was going to take his foot with him. Um, I was actually kind of surprised at the finish. I didn't expect Kurt to to pull that one out. I thought they'd give it to Sean, um, but I was glad to see him get the win. Um, I yeah, really spectacular match. I think really good story, really amazing athleticism. Uh, yeah, a plus for Kurt Angle. I again, I I don't know. One, I don't know why I haven't paid more attention to his stuff before you know, these last few and two, I am sort of mad that I liked a Shawn Michaels match. Kurt really keeps the show going though. Cause even after the match, we get this final shot of angle spitting blood out of his mouth at the end. And that's like (laughs) the last thing we see. So he's still like aware that like the storytelling is still continuing even after the bell. And so he's like spitting this blood out and angry, like, Oh, it's so good. 
So, so good. They show uh, Fabulous Moolah and Mae Young in the crowd. That was really nice. And then uh, Roddy Piper's back. He's going to do a Piper's Pit segment in the ring. Um, he looks awful here. He looks he looks sick. I don't know if he was like starting to get sick here already or what, but he does not look good. Well, I mean, he's old here, technically. He's yeah. uh, like... He's got a f- artificial hip at this point, and he was like he actually got the artificial hip while he was in WCW and was still working matches after the hip. And it's like, dude, you should not be like you shouldn't. Back then, you don't do shit like this with artificial hips. Like, yeah, no. So this is actually his return to WWE after um, he'd been. I think he was in TNA for a little while. Um, this is sort of the beginning, the very beginning of his like final run with the company. So, but he's uh, he he comes out and calls out Stone Cold. He doesn't like Stone Cold. He's going to talk some shit about Stone Cold. And then you know, as you mentioned, you know, Stone Cold's been not wrestling for a little while now, but here he comes yet again. Yeah, and we got Lawler dropping a genius line of "If Stone Cold ran for president, or National Bird would be the finger." <laughs> Double birds. I feel like these two would have had a good match in their prime, Stone Cold and Piper. Like they're both like yeah. brawlers. They're both classic shit talkers. They're both not afraid to play dirty. I actually think that the the match would have been so so, but all the promos leading up to it would have been <laughs> fucking gold. Yeah. Oh my god, they would have been platinum. And like Piper is the only person to this day that handles the what chance. Yeah. Perfectly. So like, the crowd actually stops doing them during this because he just keeps countering them. And uh, like at one point he goes, what are you deaf yeah. like, <laughs> to the crowd? It's great. Um, he just counters the, the what's like three times and then the crowd stops. Yeah, no, he puts them in their place for sure. Yeah. Um, so he and he and Stone Cold trade some insults. Uh, Austin talks about Piper's um, little dress. Your little furry gimmick, your messed up boots, your little goatee. It looks like your cat run off. (laughs) (laughs) And then Piper uh, retorts back when the red on the back of your neck was diaper rash. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Love it. They're great. They're great together. Um, Then they're interrupted by some jabroni who looks like Sideshow Bob. It's Carlito. Uh, Apparently his name's Carlito. Yeah. Uh, That's uh, Carlos Colon's son. Oh, fascinating. Austin makes a comment about his little nappy head, which I don't know about. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then Piper says, who the hell are you? You look like Alfalfa. And I think he meant Buckwheat. Um, But, you know, again, I'm not going to. Let's not. Let's not correct him. (laughs) Let's not correct him. Yeah. It's, it's, It's better that he actually said Alfalfa. And then they they stomp a mud hole in Carlito. Um, Yeah. I just I just noted that this is exactly how you think it would. <laughs> you know, they shared, um, he gave Piper some beers and I was kind of wondering if, if that like Piper was sober at this point, you know, cause I know, you know, like a lot of guys, he probably had some, he was certainly overselling the alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> he gives, uh, he gives Piper a stun or two just for good measure. So the next match is um, is actually a really interesting one. I, I was kind of looking forward to this once I saw it was on the card. Yeah. So this is Ake Bono, who was a legit sumo um, champion. His real name is Chad Rowan. He was born in Hawaii. He's 6'8 and like 500 plus pounds. He's one of the tallest sumo wrestlers ever, which is one of the things that really helped to make him such a big deal. Um, now, when I was in college um, in the late 90s, um, I was – 
taking Japanese classes because I'm a white guy and that's what white guys did in the 90s. They took classes in Japanese. Um, and I remember our professor talking about Akebono and this, you know, this American kid who had like come up through the sumo uh, and had reached the Yokozuna, uh, which is, you know, the highest sort of status that you can get. And he had held it for eight years. He was the first non-Japanese born person to reach Yokozuna, which is a big deal for, for a, Absolutely. A, a place like Japan and a sport like sumo. Um, so anyway, so that's, that's the story of Akebono. He's here yeah. and they're going to have a traditional sumo match with big show Paul White. Yeah. I remember watching Akebono on ESPN two. I used to watch all the weird sports on ESPN two. And sumo is fun to watch. I like, I really enjoy it. I think it was during his time period where like there was the massive scandal that some uh sumo matches are fixed. What? Um so basically and now it's not fixed to the point of like professional wrestling, but it's more of if someone was losing too many matches and then they were about to drop out of being uh, able to stay in their house basically. So like all the sumos live together in different training camps and stuff like that. And if you don't maintain a certain winning level, you would get bumped out. And so they were watching, they would watch. And if someone was about to get bumped, they would um, throw their next match to make sure that that person won just to keep the winning percentage high enough for them to stay in. Um, oh, wow. I didn't and that was that. a big thing because uh, sumo was a, uh, is still a huge gambling yeah. thing for the Japanese. Um, and actually going to Tokyo and seeing sumo matches is on my bucket list. As of 2005, at the time of this WrestleMania, match fixing had only been suspected in sumo wrestling. It was not until 2011 when an investigation into baseball gambling revealed that sumo wrestlers were fixing matches. Yeah, I, that would be really awesome, honestly. My wife had mentioned wanting to go to Tokyo one day, and she was like, I don't think you'd, you'd want to go to Tokyo. It doesn't seem like something you'd want. And I was like, honey, I have an entire <laughs> bucket list of just things I want to do when we go to Japan. She's like, what? I was like, I want to go to the robot cabaret. I want to go to the sumo matches. I want to go see Mount Fuji. I want to go to the Shinto temples. I want to. <laughs> That's funny. She's like, wait, you have you have this list? I'm like, oh, yeah, I have a list. Um, I you, should work go for to... the, you should work for the three A's. Yeah, I should. I want to go to a uh, no, uh, the Japanese opera. I okay. want like I want like um I want to do a traditional Japanese tea ceremony uh with geishas and everything cuz uh when I was in college, I had to take a um it's like upper level studies of music uh like and every semester it was a different topic and I was requested by the professor because I was friends with him to take it this one uh, specific semester uh, because his wife was from Japan and was teaching classic Japanese music and uh, the traditional Japanese music. And so 
uh, I got to be in the class and I got to study Japanese music and I became really fascinated by it. And I got to perform contemporary Japanese music for contemporary Japanese composers and stuff like that at a festival. And like Japan became a part of me a little bit with, with this class, just like you were talking about taking <laughs> yeah. the Japanese language class. I ended up getting suckered into this Japanese music class. It was really hard, but I learned so much and I became fascinated by it, especially by the robot cabaret. Um, so well, there you go. I was, I was super excited to see a sumo match on this card as well. Yeah, I was, I was into it. Um, the, the crowd reacts to, uh, to big show and his Moashi when he takes his robe off and he's in his, um, you know, in the sort of the loincloth thing, the crowd kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's, you can sort of hear it like kind of wave through the, through the crowd. Our culture is not ready to see a big man in (laughs) skimpy clothing. That's just, this is the truth. Um, yeah. I think that's why um, it was smart that Yokozuna wore the tights with his Moashi. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, speaking of Yokozuna, kind of, it's kind of a shame that they never got to do this with him. I don't know. I mean, maybe they did, and I don't know about it. Um, I maybe. swear that him and John Tenta had a fixed sumo match. That was a work, but hmm. I might be misremembering something like that. But, so I like that Paul White has taken this seriously. He's he's gone through all the ritual motions. Um, they do some posturing about who's going to get into the stance first, and you know, all sorts of sort of traditional stuff. You know, throwing the salt and um, you know, bowing to the um, the official. I forget the referee's name. The name of that position. Um, the, during all this, there's a fan holding up a mud vein sign. Uh, right behind the ring, which is uh, kind of ruins it a little bit. <laughs> um, but then once they start, you can tell it, that this is a work. Um, Cause like they're not, I, I, I could, I, my opinion looking at it was like Akebono could like toss big show over whenever he wanted to. And the slaps are kind of weak. Um, yeah. You see big show whisper in Akebono's ear at one point. Oh really? Supposedly this was, this was a shoot supposedly I've heard, but mm. you see big show whisper in Akebono's ear. And then 10 seconds later, Yoko, uh, big show is in the air <laughs> going out. Um, so I, I think that it was a work. Yeah. And I, like I said, this, the slaps and stuff are kind of weak. Um, big show sort of for the finish, big show, like picks up Akebono and just like kind of turns him around, um, at the edge of the ring. But then Akebono just sort of gives Paul a hip toss right out of the ring, right onto the floor. Um, but still it was pretty cool. I'm glad that yeah. I'm glad we got to see this. So yes, Yokozuna and John Tenta had a sumo match in 1994 on a Monday night raw. It looks like, Oh my God. All right. So. Well, <laughs> now we have some homework to do. Yeah, but yeah, so this was this was definitely fascinating uh and it was really uh an impressive fun little exhibition for the crowd to see there um which I don't think the crowd appreciated whatsoever. Uh I was also impressed that they broke down the ring very quickly from the Piper's <laughs> Pit segment to this like why did it take them so long to get that barbershop set out of the way for Eddie Guerrero's entry? <laughs> but Jesus, they can, they can turn the ring into a traditional sumo platform. No time flat, like no time bam. at all. Yeah. So it's pretty impressive by the, by the stage crew there. Good job guys. Yeah. Alrighty. Moving along 
John Cena versus JBL, John Bradshaw, Layfield. This is sort of the co-main event. This is for the WWE Championship. Um, there's a package on the feud between Cena and JBL. There's a <laughs> there's a long um, bit about Teddy Long fucking with them both, which is cool. Um, I noted that JBL looks so much like Vince McMahon, it's disturbing. I actually put down that I felt like they just had JBL take over Mr. McMahon's character. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. if, if that's what it actually felt like. Uh, I remember hating JBL's gimmick here with this and stuff like that. And it, yeah, uh, he was a great heel champion. And I think he had a really long heel, like, like long championship tenure here too. Yeah, I think so too. He had a long stretch of like being undefeated and they kind of make a big deal about that. Um, the part that I got a kick out of in the video package was JBL has John Cena arrested for vandalizing his limo, um, which is like the only time I've seen somebody in wrestling like actually have the appropriate response to something that happens like that. <laughs> and he's an asshole for doing it. Yeah, right. He's like, <laughs> oh yeah, you v- vandalized my limo. I'm going to call the cops and then they come and arrest him. It's not like I'm going to fight you afterwards, which is you know what idiots do. Um, it's like, no, you call the cops and you let them handle it and then you sue them for the damages so um (laughs) i thought that was funny yeah um there's also a sign in the crowd that says keith is still limp (laughs) i don't know who keith is but i feel bad that he just got called out like that on (laughs) pay-per-view somebody's ex-husband yeah someone's sore this is a pretty physical fight there's a bit of a, a knockdown drag out there's some tough clotheslines or just double yeah. clothesline um i like when jbl grabs cena by the shorts and like shoots him out of the ring that was pretty good uh, yeah that- i mean this match they telegraphed the ending of it again this is another championship match uh where they introduce the champion first and then the challenger comes out like it's pretty dang clear that john cena is winning this one <laughs> like it, yeah. he's he's on a Jetpack to the moon on the, in this. Um, it's very clear from the very beginning that John Cena is going to win. Um, it doesn't look like JBL's trying very hard with a lot of things. I don't know if that was him trying to make it look like he was just like looking past John Cena or if he just wasn't literally putting out any effort because he's been champion for so damn long. He's tired. I like that Cena's wrestling and Reebok pumps. Yeah. And he stops at one point. He stops to pump, to pump him shoes. up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You think anybody watching that now will get that reference? Like, <laughs> no, not at doing? all. Yeah. Not at all. What are those shoes? That's weird. Um, <laughs> okay, Boomer. They, they kind of made JBL look like Biff from Back to the Future as well <laughs> with that hair, too, I thought. Um, but yeah, there's just like a lot of slugging in this match and a lot of hard hits and like just it's a brawl. And then Cena lands an FU out of nowhere for the win. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's entertaining enough. Not terribly memorable i gotta say um right you get like 10 seconds of cena's championship celebration and then we're we're out you know and we get a moment of like cena jumps into the crowd and there's one woman that just won't let go of him (laughs) (laughs) that's like she's got a souvenir like you don't get to keep him because he went into the crowd it's not baseball it was it was really anticlimactic for cena i felt kind of bad and it's and so it gives you really the feeling that they want Batista to be the be the face of the company here and not John Cena. Yeah, the match is only 11 minutes long. Um, and for comparisons, that Kurt Angle-Shawn Michaels match lasted almost 28 minutes. So yeah. Um, next up, we get to the Hall of Fame show. A little clip from the night before. Um, 
and they, uh, you know, kind of run down all the the people who were inducted. This is a big class. I mean, this is a like big yeah. as in um, big names. Uh, the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, Cowboy Bob Orton, Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Jimmy Hart, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and of course Hawk Hogan. Um, he's introduced by Sylvester Stallone, um, and so Piper gets a huge. Um, gets a huge pop for his thing. And he's introduced by Ric Flair. He gives a a really awesome speech that they show little clips of. And then yet again, like, you know, Hogan comes in and kind of steals the spotlight away from Piper and gets the main plates. I mean, as he probably should, but like, I don't know. I, and I'm, I I had mixed feelings about that. I, I'd like, um, I mean, it's, it would have been shitty to not give Piper, you know, in the same class, but then he also ends up playing second fiddle to Hogan yet again. Yeah, I mean, this is the WrestleMania one class here, right? Yeah, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Hogan is is perpetually there. We're still talking about Hogan in 2022, right? <laughs> yep. You know, he goes into the hall. He went into the Hall of Fame 17 years ago. Yeah, and he had just been at WrestleMania 19 in the ring fighting. So it's hard to not think that he shouldn't get these, this due. He was, he was more loyal to WWF than Piper was, even though they both went to WCW. um, Piper kept going to Hollywood and not wrestling at all, but Hogan never really left, left WWF while filming Mr. Nanny. Uh, He had, he did the tie in with no holds barred. And, you know, like he didn't, he, he was still there yeah. with Santa with muscles and <laughs> <laughs> don't forget, uh, don't forget suburban commando. I, I don't feel any animosity for Hogan getting the big, the big boom. And like, I mean, it's fucking Hulk Hogan. That's yeah, why everybody's I mean, there right at the hall of fame ceremony. Once, once they said Hulk Hogan was going in at the hall of fame that year, I'm sure that's when the tickets sold out. Yeah. Well, as usual, Iron Sheik does uh, a <laughs> really awesome, like sort of cuts a promo during his uh, induction speech. He, like flips out and does yeah. his usual thing. The crowd loves it. I love it. Uh, and then, so you get the package, and then they come out for the live crowd, and they like give each guy a like a one of the divas as like arm candy to to walk out with them, which is a little bit gross. But the one the note the only note that I took during this section is that Michael Cole says when Nikolai Volkov comes out, he says, Nikolai defected from a communist country to become a legend here, which is not true. No. No. I mean he is what Lithuanian. He is from Lithuania, right? Yeah. But I don't think he defected to come to the United States City. No. Um Nikolai Volkov was Croatian and a member of the Yugoslavian weightlifting team, and in 1967, he defected to Canada while participating in a weightlifting tournament in Vienna, Austria. Later, he began studying professional wrestling with Stu Hart in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. The only other thing that I would note about like them coming out too is that uh, Cowboy Bob Orton is still selling the bump he took from the Undertaker during the match. <laughs> Consummate professional. Rowdy Roddy Piper is suddenly sober and not hurt from the stunner whatsoever. Just saying, which one, which one's still working? 
<laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. God bless Cowboy Bob Orton. Yeah. What a mensch. All right. So I guess it's on to the main event here, which I, I think is a bit of a letdown. Honestly, I was not oh. particularly entertained or interested. Um, I think this for me, this show kind of peaked with that Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels match. Um, I think it starts pretty strong uh, and then kind of climbs with The Undertaker and Orton. It has a little bit of bump with the women's match. And then you get to that that amazing Kurt Angle, Shawn Michaels. And then it just kind of like the sumo is, is good, but it's also kind of like filler in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just sort of a downward slide from there. So it's Batista and Triple H. Triple H is with Ric Flair. This is the World Heavyweight Championship match. There's a long video package, of course. Triple H gets yeah. live entrance music from Motorhead, um, which is cool. They introduce Triple H first again, yep. even though he's got the live band. He's got Motorhead, <laughs> and he's getting introduced first. Like, yeah. uh, so what do you think? Um, what do you think, Paulovec and Lemmy talk about? Like, I mean, obviously they're they've got a um, some common facial hair interests. Um, they've got a shared love of iron crosses. Uh, uh what, what else do you think they, they chat about? Uh, they probably talk about their Nazi memorabilia. Yeah. Um, their favorite mix of Earl Grey tea. <laughs> I, so I don't, I never was a big fan of that game. So I, I would have liked, uh, if it were me, I would probably pick like, love me like a reptile or something to come out. It's time to, to play the game. Love me the thing I, I love about Motorhead is Spades guy. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, Ace of Spades. The thing I love about Motorhead is you never have to guess what the song title is because nope. it's like it's pretty much just yelled over and over again for like two and a half minutes. And well, I mean, that's over. Bon Jovi has the same deal, and Bon Jovi yeah. actually says that it's intentional. That it's like, well, how do you get people to remember the name of your song? Well, you sing it to them right away. <laughs> you sing and the then, chorus first, and then you go into the verses. Yeah. Um. So what's that? What's that Bon Jovi song about living on a prayer? What's that right, one called? Uh, living on a prayer. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of things I forgot, I always forget that Dave Batista used to have hair. Um, yeah. And I always that forget, he's not green. <laughs> yeah. I always forget, or maybe I block out the belly button tattoo because that's it's ill advised. No, um, that looks painful. Yeah. It's um. It's uh, it's a spring break move, right? It's like it's yeah, like the dumb girl on spring break. I got to throw my belly button into the sun. <laughs> yeah, if if you haven't noticed yet, listeners, we're talking about all this stuff because there's nothing to talk about <laughs> with this match uh, uh, for a very long period of this match. Just nothing is happening. It's nope. it's slow. It's boring. They're just looking at each other. They try to grapple some. They push. They shove. They hug. They throw <laughs> down. Yeah. Um, Triple H goes for the pedigree a couple times, but the pedigree takes so damn long to set up. You basically have to already have beaten the shit out of your opponent anyway to to make it convincing. Because like no one's just going to let you shove their head between your legs and no. then hook both of your arms. You know, like, and he does one arm at a time too. So it's <laughs> like, Jesus, dude, like, it's like four things to set up. Um, He's terrible at multitasking. No, um, but I do enjoy that with this title. So this title is, is, is still the traditional WCW title. 
NWA title. And I do enjoy that JR, when this title is on the line, continues to reference former NWA champs during the match. So he references Harley Race a couple times during yeah. this match. Um, so I, I enjoy that. Um, Triple H repeats the exact same blading spot that Sean does at WrestleMania 20, but it's just done outside of the ring instead of inside of the ring onto the ring post. Batista slingshots Triple H into the post outside of the ring off of the ring steps. And you can see that he swipes his blade across his hairline and he fucking blades. (laughs) Oh my God. There's so much blood. He's just, so, oh, um, my God. so I, I had, when we watched the last one, I don't know if you remember, but I was like, I did not see that blade at all. And you're like, oh, you know, it's on his wrist tape and he swipes his, his wrist across his forehead. And so when it happened this time, I'm like, oh shit, there it is again. Like I, like I caught it yeah. this time. It's so, the exact same spot. Yeah. Um, he bleeds all and, over the place. Yeah. It's, ooh, it's a lot of blood. <laughs> like it's carry level of blood. Like it's bad. <laughs> um, then the ref at one point dives to take a chair away so that there's no disqualification. Uh, Flair eats a spine buster. It's really elder abuse really at this point. <laughs> um, but the, but the crowd doesn't get into this match at all until Flair gets involved. Right. right. Once Flair starts making it a bit of a spectacle, then, then the crowd is like, yeah, yeah, this is great. And it's because Ric Flair, it, Ric Flair is amazing. And will make anything that he's around better. And so Ric Flair's partner, Ric Flair talks about how Triple H helped him get his confidence back and stuff, blah, 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 blah. But let me tell you something. Triple H was boring as shit until Ric Flair started working with him. And then still Triple H is boring, but you got Ric Flair running the show on the side, styling and profiling and being amazing at all times. Yeah, no, I agree. Like this, this match is boring. Um, and then Ric Flair comes in to save the day. Um, Batista gets the win, gets the championship. He's gonna be the WWE's new guy, right? And he's he's that's the direction they're going. Um, yep. they have and, they uh, have hitched their wagon to the Batista horse here. Even though his music is boring, his style is boring. His music is very similar to Kane's. I actually thought that they played Kane's music when he oh. won, but it wasn't. It was Batista's theme. It's very similar. Uh, even though he's boring, his finisher is a power bomb, which isn't that uh, spectacular of a move anymore at this point. Because I mean, Diesel was doing it eleven years ago at this point uh, as his finisher. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so that he's uh, his champion. Yay! And that's and how that, the show ends too. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a. Yeah. Well, there's a little video package of of uh, the highlights, uh, as it were, right? And then, yeah, I can't watch it anymore. I don't and then they it. call it a night. Yeah. <laughs> so that wraps up the card for WrestleMania 21. Um, do you have a? Well, I'm not even going to ask you. We know what the best match is. It's Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels. We're not going to. Um, yeah. Oh my god. Bore, yeah. bore the people by going on and about that again. What was your worst match for this one? I mean, you, you saw this coming too. It's uh, Trish versus Hemi. Yeah. Um, I mean, only one of them is really a wrestler and she's a subpar one at that. And uh, they did nothing to make me care about this match. Uh, It just was, it's, it's, it's more of the WWE universe's uh, 
objectification of women basically just happening. They're trying to legitimize it a little bit here, but uh, they got a long way to go still. Well, it's interesting that they, it's almost like sort of twin impulses here, right? Like they're trying to build up a women's division. And at the same time, they're bringing in women who are like playboy models, right? And there's in the in the package on um, Trish and Christy, uh, one of the things is set in a ring. And like one of the props in the ring is like a blown up cover of the playboy issue that she's in. So like, I mean, pick a lane, people like. Um, but meanwhile, Lita is with, is there with Christy, who and Lita is sort of a legitimate wrestler, right? She's like got yeah. some actual skills and cred. Um, so you know they're trying to kind of give Christy the rub by associating her with Lita, but that's not really the way that that works. No, so, uh, it's it's funny though that they're now kind of supposedly doing that with all of their wrestling. They're not hiring wrestlers anymore right uh they're hiring talent that they can then train into being wrestlers they're hiring models and turning them into wrestlers supposedly personalities right sorry personalities and superstars yeah uh, cody rhodes <laughs> is probably the only wrestler that they will ever sign again everybody else is just going to be you know a superstar right cattle call talent run, run them into the studio like all right you look like you could fight and now you're going to be a superstar. And pretty soon there's not even going to be matches on Monday Night Raw and SmackDown. Just, it's not going to be I, there. Yeah, they should just turn it into like a scripted um like a scripted drama or something. I don't know. I don't know what you would do for 3 hours, but it's it ain't cutting it as a wrestling program these days. Batman every week. <laughs> the Batman. The Batman just play it every Monday at 9. Yeah. Or 8. I sorry, it's on at 8 now. All right. So, um, did you have a oh shit moment for this one? I don't know if I did actually. Uh, yeah. So it was everything that Chris Benoit did in the ladder match. Um, <laughs> that's fair. And then, um, so pretty much it's it's a lot of the ladder match has it. Everything else on this card was kind of boring. Uh, there's nothing real. I shouldn't say boring, but nothing that like stands out and makes you go damn or or anything like that. Like it doesn't get you Ron Simmonsing or anything. Um. But the Shelton Benjamin T-bone slam on edge off the top of the ladder was big time. Uh, the spot where Shelton Benjamin runs across a ladder and then climbs a ladder into a spear, I think it was. was yeah, that was crazy. Was insane. Like, you are a maniac. What are you doing? <laughs> um, it's okay. You don't need to be, you know, there's no hardcore belt at this time. Calm down. Like, Shelton, you should be winning real stuff and you're the intercontinental champion and you should be having a legitimate defense against someone good. Like I would pay a million dollars to have watched a Chris Benoit, Shelton Benjamin intercontinental championship match instead of this oh, man. match. But I digress. This match had some, had the oh shit spots in it. And so that's really what I'm trying to say that of everything on the card, this is the match that had the oh shit spots in it. Not necessarily that that's a good thing, but that's what happens. Yeah, it's the it's the spot fest. So I think mine is actually it's not not that it wasn't that predictable, but I was it just it tickled me and I really enjoyed it was when Cowboy Bob Orton comes out and clocks Undertaker with the cast. I mean, again, it's you can if if you're paying attention, you obviously know it's it's on the way. Um, But I I thought that was a really cool kind of throwback to Cowboy Bob's career and actually to um, WrestleMania one. Right. We talked about that at the beginning. Yeah. so that was always his shtick. So that part was cool. I enjoyed that. All right. What do you think? We are, I guess we got to give it a 
give a rating to this WrestleMania. Yeah, um, I mean, this is one of the better ones that we've watched recently, I actually mm-hmm. think. Um, I did like the movie thing at the beginning. Most of the matches are pretty solid. It has one of the better Undertaker matches. Eddie versus Ray is good. The Money in the Bank ladder match was entertaining for what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we got Hulk Hogan come out to beat up a Muslim guy, which always <laughs> is a feel-good moment for the crowd. Crowds love it. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, we talked about The Undertaker. Kurt and Shawn Michaels is spectacular. Uh, it is It is a highlight reel all by itself. The Piper's Pit segment was extremely predictable, but enjoyable. Uh, the Akebono Sumo match with Big Show was was fun, and it didn't take too long. It didn't occupy too much time. It was pushing it, but it was right. Uh, they didn't waste a lot of time with the JBL versus Cena because we know Cena's going to win. Everybody knew that Cena was going to win. Why make them fight 35 minutes? Um, we also knew that Batista was going to win. Batista's on a on a on the skyrocket to to Mars here with uh taking the belt from Triple H. We knew that was going to happen, but they let that one drag out because they want trip they want Batista to be the big thing. Um yeah, I'm sitting at like 3.75 to a 4 on this one just because uh there's really no bullshit happening with this with this show. Yeah, I I I think I agree. Actually, I think I'm. A, I was think I'm going to say a four, which is one of the higher ratings we've given re- lately. So there's uh, eight matches on the actual card that we saw. There's an additional thirty man interpromotional battle royal that was on the sort of the dark, the buy in that we had we didn't see. It's not on the Peacock. Um, and of those eight matches, yeah, I mean one, two, three, four, five, five of them are really good. Two of them are. Um, like fine but disposable and one of them is bad <laughs> so, right um so i mean that's a pretty good percentage uh and also i appreciate this kept it under four hours um there wasn't a ton of uh promos in this one in between the matches which is no. kind of interesting yeah um, they've they've abandoned that formula now pretty much completely where yeah if you go back and watch those early wrestlemanias it's match promo match promo match promo match promo match promo and all yeah. those promos are filmed in advance top secret what? um but yeah they've kind of abandoned that and they focused a lot more on this being a live production it felt like with this show um but they aren't at the point yet where they've got like a billion in-ring segments to break it up and drag it out there's really only right. two here there's the eugene segment and there's the piper's pit segment and then and then the the hall of fame is is sort of a customary kind of thing but it's it's more yeah of a... at this point they got to roll the old people out every every time um <laughs> and it's i actually like that moment um, yeah i do too even though like most of the crowd has no memory of ever seeing the iron cheek, Nikolai Volkov, Paul Orndorff or Bob Orton ever fighting an actual match. That's because they didn't have the peacock back then. No. And you know, they also conveniently wrapped up the, the offensive moments all into one segment for us this time with, with Eugene and Muhammad Hassan. Uh, they just, they just crammed it all together in one, one racist, xenophobic, ableist, uh, segment to just get it out of the way um, because as we've discovered now with 21 WrestleManias under our belt racism is the underlying theme of all of them 
Yeah, there's got to be, you got to throw it in there, right? Or otherwise the crowd just won't know how to react and whom to root for. So, um, yeah. And, you know, when the Peacock gets around to editing shows, um, you know, I know that they've been doing some selective cutting here and there. They could easily just chop this little segment out. Um, maybe just, just cut to the part where Hogan shows up. Just kind of make it make it a non sequitur. I don't know. You could do something with it. Alrighty, so that's a three point seven five for you, a four for me. Um, pretty good overall WrestleMania. I'm glad that we are continuing this series, and hopefully you all have a chance to watch it. If you do, um, you know, shoot us an email at all the WrestleManias at gmail dot com. Uh, tweet at us at WrestleMania Pod. You can find us on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram, and of course on the web at all the WrestleManias dot com. We're always happy to hear from you. And the last thing that we want to do is, as always, just take a moment to pay tribute to the performers that we saw in the show who are no longer with us. So for this WrestleMania 21, our In Memoriam section includes Matthew Anawai, a.k.a. Rosie, who's in the pre-show Battle Royal, Chris Benoit, Fabulous Mula, Howard Finkel, Nelson Frazier Jr., a.k.a. Viscera slash Mabel, who's also in the pre-show Battle Royal, Eddie Guerrero, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Lemmy from Motorhead, Mean Gene Okerlund, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Rowdy Rowdy Piper, Nikolai Volkov, and Mae Young. Alright, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, everybody. I'm your co-host, Tim. And I'm Rich. Woo! And we will see you next time. So long, everybody.